All right, everyone, before we get started, I want to let you know about a few things that we're working on at Marathon Youth Ministry. And the first thing is the open enrollment of our masterclass, Crafting Your Own Vision. It's to help all of you out there who are maybe struggling with the question, what's my ministry supposed to look like? Because we know through the pandemic and just changes in the church that it's a question that rolls around our minds often. And so in this uh, masterclass, uh, there are video sessions and live coaching and content to help you answer that question. You know, what's the purpose of my ministry and how can I set up these goals and how can I rally a team around those goals to get the job done? So if you uh, want to figure out what ministry is going to look like, head over to MarathonYouthMinistry.com, click on resources, and you'll see Masterclass right there, crafting your own vision. You don't want to miss it. Hey, everyone. How's it going? It's me, Chris Wesley, with another episode of the YM Transfer podcast. And of course, you know that, but I love to say it. And it's just an opportunity to pick the brains and minds and learn more from people who are killing it in the ministry and leadership world. And today's guest is someone who has been doing that in so many different capacities in so many different ways. And she is a mentor and a guru for so many men and women out there. Um, And I love every chance that I get to Uh, speak with her and talk ministry and life and leadership. And so who is this special person? Well, it's Catherine Angulo, who is the program director of Thriving in Ministry Initiative at the McGrath Institute at the University of Notre Dame. So she's out in South Bend, but she has an extreme experience in, in ministry as a diocesan director and also as a director of youth ministry as well. And we talk all about that. We talk about leadership. We talk about trends in ministry that she's noticing and seeing. And so this is just a contentful, fill up your notebook sort of conversation. So speaking of those notebooks, get them out, get those pens, get ready to take some copious notes because Catherine will blow your mind. Uh, So here we go. Without any further delay, Catherine Engel. Hey, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me on the YM Transfer podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Very excited to to be able to talk to you again. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, For uh, those of you who uh, don't know, uh, Catherine and I have, uh, we've had a variety of different conversations. I think the first time, um, did we meet in person when you came out to the Archdiocese of Baltimore or was it through the the church podcast with John Ronaldo? I can't remember. Um, it was, first was at, at Baltimore. So Baltimore. we were together. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And uh, we have a mutual friend in common, Craig Gould, uh, yeah. who uh, you are actually Craig's mentor. Every time he says, I've learned all this great stuff, he, he goes back to you, Catherine, and, <laughs> and, and uh, everything that you taught him about being a diocesan director and whatnot. And uh, I have to say, you did a good job. You did a good job. Uh, so far, I good. give Craig a B plus, a B plus. The reason he doesn't have an A is he's from uh, New England and yeah. his sports team choices, you know. But uh, nonetheless, you've done a really good job okay. with, with Craig. And, and I know you've mentored a, a bunch of people. Uh, in fact, when I uh, ask around, you know, who's, who's someone that uh, we should follow or, or, or look at or learn from in, in ministry and, uh, and your name quite frequently pops up. So I'm excited oh, wow. to have you on the show. So, awesome. um, but for, for people who might not be familiar uh, with you, uh, Kevin, why don't you explain a, a little bit about who you are and what mm-hmm. you do? 
Well, so hi, I'm Catherine Angulo. I'm currently the program director of Thriving in Ministry Initiatives for the McGrath Institute at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, under that program, I'm, I have two major areas. One is uh, we, I have a program for priestly renewal, which is uh, I work with priests that have been in ministry for at least, in their parishes for at least eight years. And then we help them kind of get recall their vocation again to get energized again in the ministry that they have been called in their vocation. And then on the other side, I'm working with a strong Foundations for Catholic Leaders, which is uh, young adults working in the church for at least eight years, that we have seen extraordinary skills and we think that they might become the future leaders of the different Catholic organizations or in the leadership of, of the dioceses or, or parishes. And we are helping them, uh, we're accompanying them, we're mentoring them into gaining the skills that ministry in that kind of level needs, but that is not in any of the degrees that you can receive. <laughs> For example, when you have uh, your master's in theology, very little is being spoken about science and religion, or very little is spoken about finances and, and stuff like that. So we're trying to make them more holistic so they can become great leaders for the future. Prior to that, I work um, uh, in a diocesan level for the Archdiocese of Atlanta and the uh, Diocese of Raleigh. And before that, I was a youth minister in parishes for more than nine years. So that's kind of my 22 years experience of, of in the field. <laughs> Just 22 years of experience in the field. That's awesome yeah. and amazing. Um, you know, uh, what, what I love, um, every time um, I talk to someone who's involved or associated with the McGrath Institute, I'm just uh, fascinated by the different things that you guys are tackling. And, um, you know, it, it's funny, you're talking about young Catholic leaders, right? And then priestly renewal, which is not the same. <laughs> you know, I mean, leadership principles can be transferable, right? But um, when, it, when it comes to priestly renewal, are, are most of the, the men who are coming towards this program, like facing burnout or just looking for a refresher? Like, you know, what are the different reasons someone might partake in that program? Well, they get uh, appointed by the bishops. And there are two reasons why they come. One is because they are thriving, but they feel alone. So they are able to find that community of other priests that are thriving and they can have the support there, which is sad to say, but is a reality in our church. And the other one is that those are also burning out. And if we were sincere, the, the level of expectations that we have to our priests right now is... It's insane. No one, no CEO is, is facing all the realities that, that a priest in a parish is facing right now. So to be able to provide them a, a, a week of a stop, be energized intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, have a little bit of time to grieve for yourself and, and then recall again the reason why you decided to take this vocation. I think that's a gift for them. And something I love is to see their facial expressions the moment that they walk in and the facial expressions when they leave. They're completely different men. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, because you said thriving but feeling alone, but burning out, when you burn out, you feel alone too, right? Because yeah. uh, so it's this, this battle of loneliness that leadership um, sometimes faces. And, and I feel like there's this, this adage out there, right? That leadership is lonely but mm -hmm. like, it's a lie, right? I mean, leadership's yeah. not, doesn't have to be lonely, right? Exactly. It, that's one of the mistakes to think that because you're the leader, you have to be alone. Uh, you need to be humble and vulnerable and, and find the people that you can connect with so they can be your support system. A leader without support system is, is set up for failure because they are either going to have... Um, 
they start to believe that everything that they say is true and good, yeah. <laughs> or uh, they they just burn out because no one can keep up with the expect expectations. So. So, so what are the types of support systems you help them create? I mean, obviously there's community through this program, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and then hopefully through their diocese, but what are some other support systems that you encourage leaders to, to create in their lives so they can combat that loneliness? Well, it's surprising by the beginning is just to give ourselves permission to say that we need help. Mm. They have been in leadership for so long and they have been defending that position for so long that to make them vulnerable to say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this and I need help on this. And that this can be intellectual, that this can be um, that they are starting to fall apart with some sort of an addiction or something like that, or that they are just mad and angry because they're unhappy. Uh, so sometimes, I don't know if, uh, for those of you that have worked in parishes and sometimes you see that your, your priest is becoming angrier and angrier and angrier and you just go one day and say okay let's go let's go and have taco day or something you, yeah. you need to chill right now because this is not who you are we know this is not who you are and clearly you you're struggling uh, so that given in a higher level uh, is um is uh eye-opening for many of them because they feel that I mean, let's be realistic, they are men, and usually they are in an age group where they start to think that we cannot say that we, we are struggling. So we give yeah. them the permission to say, you are struggling, let's, let's figure it out. And then we have the experts that once they say that, we, we can point at them and give them the time to spend with those experts. Well, and I wonder how much of, you know, in a priest's formation, you're going through seminary, right? And you're in mm -hmm. such community there, right? Mm -hmm. It's like what we all experience going through undergrad, um, you know, yeah. uh, you're in this community and then all of a sudden now you're, you, you might have a staff, you might have a tight knit community and everything like that, but um, there, that brotherhood of the priest is, is kind of like scattered in mm -hmm. a way, unless you, you um, share space um, at a rectory or something like that. And, and so that can definitely uh, be an adjustment for some of them. But mm -hmm. yeah, even even with making some of those decisions. Yeah, um, I can share you a very quick story that's very powerful. Uh, yeah. In one of the guidance I have with the priest, uh, we have uh, Sister Miriam talking about um, the, the word father, why, why we call them father and what that really implies in a family environment. And then one of the priests at the end, he said, I, by listening to your talk, I knew I was in trouble one day when I was offering a baptism of an infant and as, as I was holding him and, and baptizing him, I was also looking at my watch because I have to make it on time for the next meeting. And he said, I gave my life to the sacrament of baptism to offer the sacrament uh, to the community. And I couldn't believe I was looking at my watch because my schedule was one event after the other, after the other. And it's not that the next thing wasn't important, probably was a wedding or something like that. Mm -hmm. But he realized then that he needed to make some decisions so he wouldn't uh, be lost into that reality of the busyness of the life of priesthood. So, and the same happened for us as lay ecclesiastic ministers. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, Whatever and, that is. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and we'll get that into that in a second, but uh, let, let's, let's jump back, right? Because mm -hmm. when, when you introduced yourself, uh, you, you gave us the rundown of 22 years where you're at McGrath Institute, um, before that, you were at the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Before that, Raleigh, and then you were in parish ministry and everything. I, I, I want to like go back to like your childhood or earlier years, and what relationships or experiences or ideas moved you towards what you do today? Because I mean, like if we if we look at your career path, right? You've ministered to diocesan director to this, 
you could you could assume and and maybe fill in some of the blanks but you know even before that like was was ministry parish ministry something that you was on your list of career choices um how how did this come about well i have two stories for that uh, to let you know that sometimes it's in us and we don't realize it and sometimes god is the one that is calling us okay. uh, the first one is as a child I, w- I remember when i was around seven years old it was the closing ceremony of the olympics at la i was watching it with my family in colombia um, And I just got very emotional and connected to the idea of people from all around the world coming together for the sports. And as a little girl, seven years old, I stood up, turned around in front of the TV, put my hands like this, and I told my parents, why we don't do something like this, but for God, with people from all around the country celebrating God? (laughs) It's the first time I saw my parents' eyes. Like, I know um, they were surprised, but also scared of what I just said. (laughs) Right, right. And that was two years before the first World Youth Day. I was going to say, was the Vatican listening in on that conversation? They're like, clearly, that girl has an idea. Clearly, uh, my ideas have been very productive since I was saying. So that's one snapshot that I remember. Oh, that wow. I was, I, I have that sensibility. I just, I, of course, at that point, I have no clue what I was saying. But I felt that way, which was very mm. impressive. The second one was my first job actually was at a university at King College. I was in charge of the international students and the intercultural programs that we develop around the, the world. And what I did um, in that work, what I noticed is that I was connecting to all these locations, to all these countries for, for development of, of these summer programs or, or the semester programs for the students. But I made sure that they not only have the opportunity to travel around the country and to immerse themselves with the country that they were going to, but I put a service component in every single location I opened for that university. And at the same time, as a volunteer, as all of us do at the beginning of ministry, I volunteered to open the campus ministry office for for that uh, university. And three years after that, uh, one day I was in my office and a significant number of the teens, of the young adults that were part of the campus ministry came to my office with a plaque of the Last Supper. And then in the back, they have signed all of them, their names. And they told me, Catherine, what you do here is amazing. Most of us have benefited from, from your work, but the church needs you. And that was how God knocked at the door for me. So when you asked me, were you planning to minister in your life? No at all, and <laughs> never. Um, but in that moment, of course, it's not just what they say, which was extremely powerful. I don't think many have a call from God that clear. Mm. Uh, but that's when I realized I have the talent and I have the passion for it, but I didn't have the knowledge. So immediately from there, I went and applied for my master's program and I did master's in theology. Okay. So, um, but uh, one, one thing you said was that King's College, you, you started the campus ministry, you volunteered to start the mm-hmm. campus ministry. Like, what was the need that you were seeing there? Was it just a lack of community or, or just faith community? Or Yeah, the lack of community. And unfortunately, in that area, there was at that point, a lot of misunderstanding of what Catholics were. The, mm-hmm. the Protestant church was still, it was significant majority. And when you know, you get bombarded every day and even in the classroom, sometimes the, pre- the professors will say stuff that you go like, that, that doesn't make any sense. And then you will talk and say, excuse me, I'm Catholic. And actually what we teach is this or something like that. It was, it was hurtful in a sense. Um, no, no um, 
they were not aggressive or mean or no, not to the levels that we are in today's world of aggressiveness towards each other. Uh, no, but it was, it was unpleasant. And, and I did see the need of community. We needed to stay together to, to be able to survive and to thrive in, in our own faith during those college years. So that's, that's part of what, the reason why I started. No, no, that's good. That's good uh, to see that need. And so, so you went for your master's in theology and, mm-hmm. and you went into parish ministry. Mm-hmm. What were some of the challenges that you faced in parish ministry that maybe you didn't expect to, to face, you know, considering that you had had the success at King's College, even though you faced adversity, but like, what were some of those challenges early on in parish ministry? I think there are two major points. The first one is the horrible idea that we get when we want to start ministry of saying, I'm going to change everything and I'm going to do all of myself and I'm going to make sure this is perfection. Mm. And then you drown and then you quit very quickly. I think something that I tell, especially when I'm visiting new youth ministers is you don't need to create new content. There is a lot of great content out there. What you need to know is to spend the time getting to know your community. So then you know what is the content that you need for your community. That's the skill that we need to develop. And unfortunately, many people spend their whole time trying to either embrace one program specifically or create their own program, which is the worst of the cases. So, so uh, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think we have this upset? Because I agree with you. I, like, I've always looked at a program at, you know, we, we are so programmatic, uh, program centric. Um, mm-hmm. But like, uh, why do you think there is this obsession around content and curriculum when there is already such a wealth out there? Um, Personally, it's because I think the people have very little experience to know that they exist. Mm or they have a limited vision of what is out there. So one of the first things I tell new uh, ministers is expose yourself to what is out there in the nation and and relate to the people in your region because they are going to be the ones telling you, hey, this is going on, this is going on. And I know it gets intimidating when you are bombarded by all these programs and you just don't know which one to pick. hopefully with a mentor they will be able to teach you how to read a program and say okay this is good but this is wouldn't work with me because of these realities of my parish but this part i can definitely address um i I think in the last podcast that we did together i said if i knew there was a perfect program i would be the first one screaming out of the roof of my (laughs) of my house uh there are a lot of great programs you just need to have the talent to figure out which one is the one that matches for you yeah that, that that is idea um, I would like to go back to the second point that I think is the biggest mistake that we make. Definitely. Unfortunately, in the church, we make so many, um, so many mistakes based on the lack of expectations. When we hire a youth minister, when we offer them a budget, when we tell them what it is to do, the expectations are very low. And at the same time, and what I, what I mean with very low, they're going to pay you very little. They're going to expect you to work a lot. And, but they don't want you to make trouble. Like they want you to be successful, but don't be problematic. Stay in your corner kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. pretty much the, the way that I see every parish addressing youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Something that didn't match my personality is that I don't think that way. I always think about, okay, this is what we have. Why we don't go here? I, I don't stay here. I always say, why we don't go here? And I think if 
with prayer and knowledge and if you have consulted people if you think that's in your heart you need to be brave enough to push and say okay this is what you are this is our expectations you are giving me but in reality this is the potential that we have and and i have seen many youth ministers that either don't have the courage or they didn't feel self-assured that they could do it so so where where does that courage come from or where have you like um that boldness to to make the move no matter what the punishment or pushback will be (laughs) yeah i think it's just if you really know the people and you really know their needs it's like if you have a starving child in front of you and you have a bottle of water right next to you and they're thirsty and you refuse to give them that water that's Mm. what i told parishes so for example in my first job uh in a parish, I remember when I did the interview, the interview went very well. Then they talk, asked me to talk to the business guy and I went to talk to a business guy and he offered me a salary that was less than what I was making before I had my master's. And, and sincerely, it was no uh, living wage. So I look at him and say, thank you. I love the parish. I, lo- I know I could do what I need to do here. This is not gonna make it for me. So I stood up and left. And not many stand up and left. Many say, okay, I will do it, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, and then I saw the priest run into the parking lot and say, what happened? What happened? I was like, I- I'm, thank you so much, but what you had offered me is not going to help me. I'm single. I don't have any responsibilities. I don't have any debt. I cannot survive with what you are paying me, which is pretty telling right. of how bad it was. And then the, the business manager told me, um, well, uh, we don't have the money to pay you for, for the salary that you're expecting. And I wasn't saying anything crazy. I wasn't saying li- literally living wages. Right. That's what I was asking for. And I look at him and I say, let's do this. Keep me for a year. And if you don't have the collection increase by then, then in a year I leave. I, you don't even have to fire me. And he was very surprised with that statement. And in less than a year, the collection doubled. Wow. Because wow. you activated the youth. So it's like if you invest in people, the results come. When you have a good youth minister, the church comes alive. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that, those are the move, moves that we, I don't see often in, in parishes. So we need to be bold on those cases. So, so what influences, um, I mean, like, I love the story that you shared about when you were seven with the, you know, 1984 Olympics, right? With uh, just everything kind of going out there. But um, and seeing this big vision, right? Because I, I think part of it comes, you, you said, looking at the needs, if you know the needs of the people and you love the people, right, you will go to great lengths to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But also seeing the bigger picture. And, and, and I agree with you, right? I've had conversations with, with, with priests um, who are either hiring other youth ministers or even the ones that have hired me and, you know, kind of said like, you know, if you invest in me, there should be a return on that investment. If you don't, then you get rid of me, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if you do, then it's worth it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't hear that a lot from, from youth ministers, especially um, people who are new into youth ministry and, or even people who are getting into it. Um, in fact, I hear the opposite. I hear, well, the church, like, I feel like I owe the church because they've given mm-hmm. me this job or they've been flexible with my hours. Therefore, mm-hmm. you know, I've never asked for a raise. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's amazing because if, uh, if I may get on a soapbox for a second, we're a pro-life church, yet some of the uh, work um, issues that we have uh, are very anti 
uh, mm -hmm. pro-life. And, and so, um, but uh, one of the things I just love is that you had that, um, that foresight, that, that, that knowledge, that confidence to say that. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that you learned from your parents, from other work uh, situations, or you were just on fire with the Holy Spirit? I will have to say on those cases, it must be the Holy Spirit because I really don't know where it comes from. Uh, right. It's just, I, but I think it's also the passion. It's I want to do the work. And, and you can talk to all my past bosses and they say something that we never were concerned with Catherine is she's not doing enough. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. when I'm on fire, I'm on fire and, and I do everything I can. Um, but all what I was asking for was the just thing of, I just need to be able to pay a rent, not even to pay for the house, but pay a rent and to have a car and have food and have health insurance. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I knew I have what is needed. And the other part is sometimes people make decisions out of fear of not having a job. Mm -hmm. and, and what you need to understand is if God is asking you to serve, he is going to open the doors and, and you need to not sell yourself short out of that. You, you need to say, okay, God, I'm here and I'm, I'm wanting to serve. This is all what I need. And again, no, in a, you know, this is, if you are in ministry and you're expecting to make money, you are in the wrong career, period. Right. But it just in the just way to be able to do the work that I need to do, God opens the doors and then, the good news is the Holy Spirit comes and makes the results itself. So that's, that's the exciting part. No, and I love that. And I love that. And, and uh, those are some of the things I wish I, I had knew and understood um, early on. Like, uh, like you, I can, I can um, uh, definitely relate to the fact that I'm going to change this place. I'm going to make it better. And then just like pushing myself hard. And then, of course, the Lord comes and shows me humility yeah. um, all at the same time all great advice for, for young leaders. Um, kind of jumping back to, to what you're doing um, in, at McGrath Institute with um, uh, the Catholic leaders, young leaders. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what, what sort of habits, what sort of skills are you teaching? Like, what does that program look like? Uh, when someone enters into it, what are you hoping that they walk out uh, knowing and embracing? Mm -hmm. The most important thing, and now that we have Pope Francis, we have heard the word accompaniment a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but to, for them to be flexible, to be humble enough to say, I'm struggling with this, I'm good at this, and I need help, and I need to communicate with other people. So creating that uh, small group mentality of support, all of us should have our supporters, and it's not just one person, it should be a community of people that can help us support um, and that should be outside from our family and aside from uh, our loved ones. It should be a community of ministers that help us, that will pray with us, that will stay with us. So one of the beautiful parts of this program is we, we find three mentors for each participant. One mentor is a listener, which is the ones that they just listen to their whole life in a sense of how they are dealing with their personal life, balancing personal life and ministry and stuff like that. The other leader is a practitioner, the other mentor that is a practitioner, which is the one that will sit down with them once a month and say, okay, professionally, what is one of the struggles that you have? And so let's see if I can give you some tips of how to surpass that, that challenge. And the third one is a professional one, which is, okay, now that you're learning this, what is a skill that you think you're going to need to be able to move to the next level? And again, when I'm talking about moving up and down, people might think that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it as a corporation or something like that. And I don't mean it that way. I mean it in the way of 
the stewardship. If you have the time, talent, and treasure, you should be able, you should be allocating that correctly, which means if you have the talent and God is giving you the experience to be successful in ministry, then you can serve more people. Mm-hmm. And then you need to, to start to gain those skills to be able to serve better your community. And that's, that's the way that I look at it as a, as a stewardship mentality. Well, and that's so good, um, especially in ministry. I remember early on, um, I, I, I was a part of a lot of cohorts and groups uh, with evangelical churches, right? Mm-hmm. And it seemed like being a youth pastor or youth minister there's always that stepping stone to being then the lead pastor or senior mm-hmm. pastor, right? Mm-hmm. And that was never, that was never me. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, um, pretty much early on in youth ministry, I got married. So mm-hmm. priesthood was out, mm-hmm. diaconate, I wasn't sure about. I was still too, still far off from that. And But even so, those didn't seem like necessarily promotions, mm-hmm. like that moving up the ladder. But it is this idea of the way that you move up to that next level is is by growing and expanding the capacity of your ministry. Yeah. And, and so it's taking on new projects, um, saying, okay, we're not just going to do middle school youth ministry and high school youth ministry, but we're going to look at, you know, creating uh, just these different affinities. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what are the needs in our community? Mm-hmm. Um, what does full ministry look like in the parish and thinking like beyond that? Yeah, because that's one of the first mistakes that we make also as a new is in ministry itself, which is we start to do a program and unfortunately we call it program, no ministry, but we start to do a program and it starts to be successful and we feel that we are the best of the best. And then I always ask, are you sure you're calling all the people that should be here? And they go, they're like, what do you mean? I'm busy. Look, I'm busy. I'm like, yeah, you're busy ministering the people that you like Mm. or that you see. Have you tried to minister to people that you don't like or you don't see, but they still are in your community? And that's when they, the people start to be concerned. That's when you start to, you go like, well, I don't do this community or this group because I don't feel comfortable or I don't know how. Those are the skills I'm talking about that, that we question them. Okay, you need to earn the skills so you can also serve this community or you need to develop these uh, relationships so you will li- lose the fear of, uh, embracing these other communities. So then you can be a true minister to the entire parish community, not just the ones that you like. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like it's creating kind of this uh, formation program for these young leaders to, to know like, okay, how are you going to grow so that you stay in ministry for more than just three or five years that yeah. you're continuing to grow? And, and even though you might be moving around in different positions, um, you, the the ability to, to lead is, is going to be key. Um, now, before you said with the, the priestly renewal, that that's an appointment from, from the bishop or archbishop or cardinal, but um, uh, for this, uh, uh, for the Catholic leaders uh, track, how, how do people get plugged into that? How, how do people find out about that? Uh, we are working with our first group, and this is a two-year program. And what we did is we call all the executive directors of Catholic organizations, all the universities, Catholic universities, and, and major leaders of the church, and we say, who do you think is going to take your job? And, and you will be surprised with the answers I we got. It was that look of, what? Are you giving my job? I say, no, seriously, who are you training to, to take your job? Or who do you see that is coming up and, and has some great future? And they give us, compiled with all of them, we have a list of around 100 names. And then through those names, we started to look at the ones that already were in some sort of support systems that they wouldn't need us that much. And we started to select the ones that had extraordinary skills, but they were not attached to a support system. And that's how we selected the 14 that we have right now. 
and we have spent these two years with them. One of the beauties of that exp experience is that, um, well, yeah, they are learning a lot from the mentors and from the online classes that we're offering. But the best thing is the community that they have created because they come from different fields and the ideas that are coming out of that group, because of course, all of them are great people and you put right. great people together, you know, they're going to create great things. So mm -hmm. the conversations and the support system and how they're starting to stretch their ministry to the other's ministry, that's, that's the part that is fascinating. Mm, definitely, definitely. Well, and, and I know, um, and it goes back to whether you're a priest or a lay person, you know, one of the reasons you're going to go far is, is as long as you're combating that loneliness, right? Yes. Recognizing the fact that God's walking with you, that you have a community out there, whether it's in, within your profession or, or just people who are cheering you on, you know, encouraging you. I mean, that, that's going to be huge. Like the cohorts that we run at Marathon Youth Ministry, it's all about like, creating that dialogue and that um that connection and but it's amazing you know even whether you're extrovert or introvert but it's amazing how much we put that to side right yeah. we put um conversations collaborations and, and just uh communication like to the side because we're so busy doing like you, mm -hmm. you were mentioning before mm -hmm. um well, like, so what, what are some of the, um, what, what are some of the other challenges that, uh, that participants have faced in regards to expanding their, their, their leadership or what, what do you, let me make this a big general question, right? Yeah. What do you feel is like one of the biggest obstacles that lay ecclesial leaders are facing right now in ministry? Well, um, Right now, we've, let's say, we, even with all the realities of COVID-19, is if you want to look at it from a practical way, being a minister right now doesn't show great future. If we are just pessimistic and we just look at it that way. Right. Why? Because uh, the resources are lower, the support system is weaker, uh, the actually the idea of the church is the church and you need to be part of the church. We have stopped going to church for five months right now. Um, and I think this crisis have highlighted the things that were not working before, but we're going to blame it on COVID-19. What I mean with that, there were programmings, there were uh, national conferences, there were um, activities that were declining before this. The level of disaffiliation we know was increasing significantly. And COVID-19 became the perfect excuse for those that were this close to get out of the church to have the permission to just get out of the church. So the call that we had before, we thought it was overwhelming. Now our call is even, our role is even more important because we are gonna have to not only survive in through these moments, but also we need to use all of our creativity and talents not to replicate what we were doing because clearly it was not working well, we, what we need to do is to be creative to see how we can engage those uh, parishioners or those members in our community to come back uh, to the church. What do I mean with this? Um, research showed that the number one issue that the communities were uh, uh, facing is that they didn't feel affiliated to the church. They were not connected and they, for, they were feeling lonely. So whatever ministries we were doing before, we were trying to connect with a few, but that was not working. The parishes that I'm seeing thriving right now in this crisis are the ones that have done such a great work of keep connecting with their parishioners 
that they are actually thriving financially. And, and, and I just don't want to mention money for the sake of money, but money equals jobs. That, that's why I'm making the connection and we're talking to professionals. That the people that work in those parishes are secure so then they can put all the creativity in that security. For the parishes that are collapsing financially, it's very hard to be very creative when everything is falling apart and you don't know if you're gonna have a job tomorrow. That's the stress that we're embracing and it's re a real stress that we're embracing right now. So what we need to do is to have a heart-to-heart -heart evaluation with our staff members in the parishes and say, okay, let's go back to basics. What is it that we need to do? What is it that we should be doing? And what is it that we need to eliminate that we were doing before so we can thrive again in, under these circumstances so our parish can see us alive again? under the realities that we're in. So the hardships of today can look a little bit pessimistic for those that are, for example, doing the first year as a full-time youth minister in a parish. You started in a very hard time. But guess what? If you look at the history of the church, whenever the hardships were coming, that's when the best saints were rising up. So what I keep telling everybody is like, open your eyes and your ears because they are around us. It's just we haven't identified them, but we need to see them. I think new ministries are going to start to develop. I think new um, communities are going to start to develop. And we need to celebrate and embrace those because that is what is going to enrich our faith after this, this crisis that we have. No, I, I love that. And, and and one of the things I've been telling people, especially new youth ministers who are coming in, I was like, don't stress about what other people are doing because the leveling, uh, playing field has been leveled. You know, yeah. um, you know, someone who's been in ministry for 16 years, like there were points at, at the beginning of this, it was just like, oh my gosh, it feels like I'm starting at a new parish in a new yeah. place, not knowing, yeah. you know, anything. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's where you really rely back on some of these principles, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, your, your prayer life, vision, uh, communication, things along those lines. And so yeah. I think anyone who's starting out in this time is facing a big challenge, but um, mm -hmm. it's just as big of a challenge as, as people who've been in, 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 in ministry, it for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And, and we're getting some significant questions of the work that we do. Um, and also the simple ones, but hard to make. For example, we youth ministers are great at icebreakers. We are excellent at that. But let's be realistic. Many of those icebreakers imply wasting food or imply, you know, going above and beyond. Mm -hmm. I will say any youth minister that keeps doing those games right now is someone that is not connected to the reality of today. Yeah. So that doesn't mean don't do icebreakers. No, it's be realistic of what we expect. I mean, if you have millions of people that have lost their job, I don't think it's a good example of youth ministry to have uh, one of those trashy guidance of food that we usually do in youth ministry. Try to do something that is the opposite, but it's as significant, like then do a drive-through uh, food for the community or something like that. Just be creative. That, that is spirit of togetherness, of having fun, of, of, of community that we want to build in our youth groups, continue that, please. It's, it's, it's the foundation, but, but be aware of where we are. And that's why I'm saying you need to be very flexible of no crime because you didn't get the same t-shirt that you usually build every year for the group. Yeah. Maybe this year is not t-shirt year. Maybe it's something else. Uh, who knows? No, no, no. Uh, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it's a chance, like you said before, to just go through, do an evaluation, say, okay, what still meets our vision? What, where, like, what does not make sense in the, in the world that we're in right now? Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, it's funny, like, 
uh, I know our parish looked at our food budget, right, from fellowship after mass to what we were spending on pizza, you know, <laughs> and youth nights. And uh, that just took a huge chunk out because no one was going to eat any of that stuff anyway. And, you know, we were fortunately like, okay, we don't have to worry so much about salaries because what we're spending on pizza and donuts, like, forget about yeah. it. But, you know, it comes back to, as a youth minister, I'm like, all right, I knew people weren't really coming to church for pizza and donuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it, it forces you to f- revisit that question. Why are people coming? Like, yeah. what's the value that you are portraying? I mean, you know, we can, we can shout from the rooftops that, the, you know, it's the Eucharist, the source and the summit of our faith, but that's what we know, but what do they know and what are they seeing? And if we don't understand that and listen to that, then we're not able to bring them back in and it can create all those challenges. One advice I will give any minister right now is if you don't feel comfortable or knowledgeable enough about the Eucharist and how to explain it, this is the time to invest in all the trainings that you can, because this is the number one message that we have ahead of us to explain to a family why they need to go back to the Eucharist mm. to receive the, the, the Eucharist whenever, according to the cities, whenever it is, is permissible for them. Right. Because that's the number one question that families have. And it has been five months that some families have not returned to receive communion or they're not, after Easter, they stop watching uh, the, the liturgy on, online. Right. So how, what, how to explain that if you don't feel comfortable, and this is when I really need you to be sincere. If you don't feel comfortable explaining everything about those topics, then is this, a, this is the time for you to invest of training yourself so then you can be a great leader to provide that light to the, to the next uh, generation. Definitely, definitely. Um, and, and even with streaming, right, that's the whole debate. Like, if I can watch it online, why do I go in? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. as Catholics, mm-hmm. it's the Eucharist, to receive yeah. the Eucharist, right? Yeah. And uh you know, as long as the dispensations out there, you know, it, it, it blurs the lines a little bit more, but, uh, you know, needless to say, it, it is this challenge and, and it's not, you know, um, in addition to the Eucharist, it's just articulating our faith, right? Yeah. Like as leaders, we need to be artic- able to articulate our Catholic faith, our personal faith, our, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, I feel like we're almost entering into this world where our witness is such an important tool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and it's not just for us as leaders, but to encourage our parishioners and our volunteers, mm-hmm. especially since, you know, we're looking at these new medias and platforms and it's like capture the testimonies on, on a video, you know, and put it on your website, um, you know, share your story, why this all matters, why going back to mass matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people that will, um, not just help people understand the importance of it, but it also inspire them because you might awaken something that they've been missing as well. Mm-hmm. As well. Yeah. Because unfortunately talking about leadership for many years, we have the misconception that leadership was I'm the leader and I'm going to make a lot of copycats of me. Mm. <laughs> That's no discipleship. That's no good leadership either. Right. Uh, the idea is to give the environment to the people to say, here is where I saw God. And then, everybody else can start to have the lenses to find God in their own lives. Mm. And as a community, we journey together. This is a perfect time to start to share those stories. Definitely. Definitely. Um, You you talked about some parishes that were thriving. What what are some of the bright spots, um, uh, you know, that you're seeing in this, uh, during this crisis, this pandemic, um, you know, like, as we were talking before we hit record, there are moments where people are thriving in this and not in an opportunistic sort of 
fashion, but they're thriving because God is blessing because they're doing God's will. What, what are some of those bright spots that you're seeing, examples that you're seeing? Yeah, we started, many parishes started very well before Easter. I'm doing the phone call trees, you know, calling everybody. But I noticed that after Easter, they stopped calling. So to, to forget that people are still struggling, that some are struggling tremendously right now. Some others are not being affected that much. To continue that conversation is very important. So let's say you are a youth minister and in your area, they still don't want to gather face to face. Mm-hmm. Your core team should have the contact with these teens still weekly because in a weekly basis, the reality can change. So that's something that I have seen. I have seen that the ones that are using resources online, they are actually starting to get very good at the quality of what they're offering. Uh, I, I love some people that are trying really hard, but the video is horrible. You can barely hear the sounds. You know, it's just like... Right. Do, do good because right now there is a lot that being offered. I noticed, uh, for example, um, at the beginning when I was working with the priest and they were trying to figure out how to celebrate the mass online, I have one priest that I have been giving him tips. And in one of the masses, early masses, the camera fell. <laughs> I know oh, you man. could hear he was like, patience, patience. Thank God he said patience and not something yeah, else. Yeah, right, right, right. But then you see him running and trying to put the camera again and all this stuff. Now you see him and he has like the window with the music going on. Mm-hmm. The readings comes from people in different homes. I mean, he has definitely embraced the media that he has right now to do that. So whatever media we have right now, although we are in, in, in very difficult situations and, 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 and realities, please try to make it the best quality in content and the best quality on the way that you present it as possible. Well, and, and I think it, in addition to that, to remember that there's a huge learning curve to that, oh, right? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, um, you know, uh, I'm sure you saw some of those stories of priests who didn't realize they had like a filter on that gave them like the googly eyes or the, yeah. the hearts radiating from their heads and stuff like yeah. that. And, but I, you know, part of me as a, as a Catholic and also as a entrepreneur, love that, loved mm-hmm. seeing that because um, going back to something you said earlier is we're not, we hit this point in our careers or in our life where we're so afraid to make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? That, and, and these are, we're, we're afraid to make simple mistakes, forgivable mistakes that what it, uh, I think actually does is set us up to make bigger mistakes. Yeah. Because if all we're trying to do is be perfect and protect ourselves, then really what we're doing is allowing all the, this, this bad stuff to just accumulate around us to the point where we can't handle that because we haven't asked for help. Um, and so, um, you know, I'll never forget, um, when we were doing the live streaming thing uh, from the beginning, we, we pre-recorded mass like on a Friday night. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but as we were getting to the tritium, our pastor was adamant that we are going to go live. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting all the equipment, everything like that. It's Holy Thursday, Catherine. And I'm, I'm the live streaming person, Holy mm-hmm. Thursday. And two minutes into it, our Wi-Fi crashes. I just, yeah. And I have never had to interrupt a mass before, but I basically, st- and like with the tech booth was inside the church, like now it's, it's in another room, but I had to stand up and I'd be like, sorry guys, we just need to stop while yeah. we reboot the Wi-Fi here. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and the worst part of it is we had to come back in the next day to do good Friday. But, you know, as each day went on and, and you know, just kind of perfect, you know, yeah. by Easter Sunday, we, we had figured it out, yeah. you know, we had yeah. taken care of all the issues. So, um, 
but you know, looking back at it, we can laugh. It was painful at the time, but now um, what that did was we have invested heavily into newer equipment. And when we had that call out to our parishioners, they responded right away and we were mm -hmm. able to raise the money in 48 hours, you know? Yeah. Um, and so um, just going back to your point, right? Like you want to do it well, but you also want to work at it um, um, on top of that. And that's what I love a bit about your story and the story of this priest, because yes, it was challenging. It was scary. You could see, but the creativity started like, oh, I can add music if I do this. Oh, I can mm -hmm. do the lectures if I do this. And the other thing that he did is during the prayers of the faithful, he said, look, I miss your community. I miss you. I want to know what's going on in your homes right now. Send me the prayers uh, of, uh, of intention from your home right now. Now he's mentioning whose birthdays is going on, the anniversaries. And believe it or not, now you feel like you're part. I, I'm not a member of that parish, but I have been following him to see his growth in five months. I feel like I'm part of his community right now online, which is great. And that's, that's the call that we have. You, from your perspective and your ministry to celebrate in the masses, the priests, the, the ministers with their communities, we need to try new things so we will see where God is opening a new way for us to do great ministry. Well, and another thing to pull from that is he's basically telling his congregation that he loves them, right? Exactly. And it's exactly. like, you know, if, uh, you know, as a, as a father, right, like I know an important thing I have to do is tell my sons that, I love them. They, love I them. can't just leave that up to assumption. And so yeah. our pastors or priests, um, when we hear that as leaders, right, we mm -hmm. need to tell our teams that we love them because God has called us to love one another. And I yeah. think, um, you know, we, we hear this a lot with young people, right? It, like um, they don't care what you know if they don't believe that you care about them, right? It's yeah. the same thing with our teams. Our teams don't care that you are in charge if you don't yeah. care about Can't them, if they don't believe that you care about them. Which is one of the gifts of this virus, which we are going to be like, gifts, Catherine? Yes. You know how many dioceses I have been working with that they have this new connection with the homebound parishioners? Mm -hmm. The number one comment I hear from homebound parishioners is, finally, I found my church. Like, finally, I can be part of things of my church from home. And which is, for me, that was a huge eye-opening moment. And that's what I'm thinking. These new media, medias and, and forms that we're learning are not going to go away. I think these actually are going to stay because they can reach a, a lot of our communities that we were not reaching out before. Definitely. You, you've shared, shared with us a, a lot of uh, leadership principles that you, you, you um, are teaching through these, these programs and also what you've learned as a youth minister recently. What, what do you think is like what is a leadership principle or practice or habit that has had a profound impact on you uh, most recently? Something I really appreciate from my bosses, for example, is that they spend the time getting to know me so they knew what my skills were and then they supported my skills. They never expected me to match a square knowing that was a triangle. Mm. What they did is they learned, oh, you're a triangle. Okay, let me figure out how a triangle works. And then they were like, okay, now with as a triangle, how you can be the best of the best of the best. And then they gave me the resources and then I was able to flourish that way. The biggest mistake that we have, and I think anyone in ministry that have worked in more than one parish have felt this. When the old youth minister leaves, the new youth ministers comes in and all the teens let them know every single day how the last person was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And they don't do this because they want to be mean to you. That's because they were accustomed to. 
I assure you, if you leave a year after, they're going to tell the next youth minister how amazing you were. That's, that's yeah. kind of like the, the culture that we are mm -hmm. in. But the biggest mistake that we do is that we want to be the copy of whoever was before, or we want just to follow this way. What mm -hmm. we need to do is to allow that leader to let us know what they are very good at. I mean, the best match is when you are hiring. You, that's why you have candidates. And if you find what are the needs of your parish and you find the perfect candidate with those gifts, it will be a perfect match. But the beauty is that I can say, okay, people, these are my skills and I'm going to give them 100%. Then I'm going to find my team surrounded that highlights the skills that I don't have. So I can support them to be successful too. So then the parish is going to have a fantastic program. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the mentality that we need to have. In many cases, is on the contrary. In many cases, is this is my style and this is going to be great. And if you get out of my style, you are not welcome here. So that's one of huge mistakes. Another mistake, unfortunately, in ministry, and it's one of the ones that breaks the hearts of many people, is that jealousy or competition can come too into ministry. And they start to compare themselves. Well, this other parish does this and this other parish does that and you, the other parish is better. We don't understand that on, we're under the umbrella of discipleship of Christ, one Christ. Right. And we need to have the support system uh, uh, among each other. And for those that are very intentionally, um, and, and that usually happens even in between the same parish, between ministries when we have that competition of who is better or who is going to receive more attention or who is able to do more fundraisers because they like the priest better kind of thing. Right. That's the most dangerous environment that you can create. On the contrary, what you need to do in your communities is to build that teen mentality because guess what? You are not God. Yeah. And, and it's through the help of everybody that things can actually happen. Personally, my goal in life, and I hope if you look back with the people that have worked, they can see it somehow, is my goal is to expose the people that I work with, with the things that I think that are good. And I say, hey, look, you, you have never been in this conference. Let me take you with me. Go and explore and see what you can get. And then we come back and we can talk and see what kind of ideas we can create together. To expose them to as much as what you have. So when you leave the place, you can say, Everything I knew, I shared with them, and then they were able to adapt it according to their, to their gifts. That's, yeah. that's my goal as a leader. Just like teenagers, my goal with them was not just to prepare them for confirmation. My goal with them was to help them feel so comfortable in the parish to the point that they knew where the light switch was and if something breaks, who they need to talk to, that no matter what time they go back to that parish, next week, 10 years from there, or when they're 100, that they will feel that I know this place, this is, mm -hmm. this is my church. That's, that's the way of leadership that I try to, uh, to multiply because I'm trying to educate for life. I'm not yeah. trying to educate just for the years I have the things in front of me. Well, and it's like handing the keys over, right? It's yeah. handing the, the reins or whatever analogy you want to use. In fact, um, you know, what the, we use that phrase in, in our parish a lot. It's like, I'm going to give you the keys. You're ready to drive. Um, and uh, um, I know, that, yeah, the, the feeling that we get from, from our young people, especially when you're like, all right, you're going to run the live stream tonight. Or you know what? Like, you're going to give a testimony tonight. Um, you're in the driver's seat. Uh, and if you need help, I'm here. But you get to drive. And it's that sense of responsibility and ownership 
And mm-hmm. I think like, uh, you know, we talk about clericalism, um, you know, often in, and now the new clericalism that, that's happening there. And one of the ways that we combat that, right, is by sharing not, not just our gifts, but our, our opportunities and ownership Mm-hmm. Um, over different components in the life of the parish. Yeah, I have a very funny story. So people know how ministry is real. Uh, when I started to work at the Archdiocese of Atlanta, I have one youth minister, a great youth minister that came to my office and she was mad. And she said, I'm mad that you are the new director of, of the Archdiocese. And, and I said, why? And, and she said, because they didn't even post the position. They just gave you this job. They seek for you. They got you the job. They didn't give the chance to anyone to apply for that job. So I look at her and I say, so that means you want my job? And she said, yes. And of course, many by now will be like, oh. So what I answer is to her is like, okay, if you want my job, let's work on this. Would, if you want to, I can help you figure out how to get my job. Bring me your resume and we start to work on it. And she was surprised by my answer. And so the next time we met, she brought me my resume. I saw the resume and I realized why she was not calling many places. So I helped her fix the resume. Right. Then I helped her connect it with some places. And then I started to tell her, look, um, there are these dices that are looking and I think this particular dices will be very good for you and your family, just as a suggestion. She applied and now she's the diocese and director of that place. Uh, oh, wow. And I told her, if I needed to move out of Atlanta, I would have moved out of Atlanta at that point. I knew I still have something to do, but I wanted, if she wanted my job, I, I will give you my job. Why? A true disciple is not attached to their own personal security. Mm-hmm. You really, if you're following the voice of God, God is going to tell you where to go. So I want everybody to to be generous. And that's the beauty actually of your ministry in the Catholic church. We are so generous of sharing what the other has. Uh, and then you can just adapt it. And that's what keeps you afloat and alive. And that's what keeps you relevant for the, all the crises that come your way. We are no experts in everything, but we know someone that is, and we can call and say, can you help me? And that, that friendship uh, starts. Right now, I'm very good friends with that, that is a director and she's doing a fantastic job. So. You, you, you don't need to be fearful of would I keep my job kind of thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that, that's awesome that you were able to, to listen and, and hear what the, the story beneath the story was. And, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, to help people find that next step, especially mm-hmm. when we're frustrated. Um, you know, just, just kind of with the uh, last couple of minutes here and everything, um, what, what books um, are you currently reading? Um, is there anything that you're currently gifting a lot? Uh, what, what is hot on the shelf of, uh, of Catherine? Okay, so first I'm going to tell you two books that have been hot for all these years of ministry. Uh, okay. The one is um, from Palmer, Par- uh, Palmer Parker, The Courage to Teach. This is a 90s book, but I love it. I think okay. it has a lot to, to do. And Thomas Groom, Educating for Life. Does. Those are, I know they're meaningful because I have moved from, to many states in my life and they have made it my moves. So that, that, the other books I have to give away. Right, uh, right now, I have uh, read the A God's Who uh, Questions from Lenny Lorenzo. It's a very good way to see how God has taught us how to mm. teach. Uh, it's a simple book, but it's very powerful. I really, I really like it. Um, everywhere, everybody lives from um, how to revive the Catholic Church. I think the the, the writers are um, Ronan and Litchfield. Okay. Um, that also gives you an, an idea of what how we can thrive in the midst of what we are doing. 
And I also look also at the administrative part because if you really want to be smart at what you are doing in your ministry, you need to understand that component too because mm. you are a steward and you have to be a good steward. God is going to ask you what you did with his resources. So Redeeming Administration from Anne Garrido is, is another book that I have on, on my shelf. Awesome, awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what piece of advice would you give someone who is just starting in the field of ministry? Like they're, they're fresh out of school, they're fresh out of college, you're at their orientation. What piece of advice would you give them to set, up, set them up for success? I would say in the first, uh, the first thing that you should do is um, ask all the high schools around your area, drive around those uh, high schools, uh, during the school time and outside of school time, look and see what is in the reality of those environments. I usually did, did that as a diocesan director. I went twice per, uh, a, par- a year to each parish to look around the city before you went to meet with the people in the parish. Why? That gives you a context. Then get to know, uh, ask for who are the leaders of the church in your age group. Um, meet with them, hear them, don't give opinions, just hear them. And then after that, um, spend probably 30% of your time, get, I would say 40% of your time getting to know the people in your community, adults, meaning your future co-leaders, uh, the, your parents, and then also getting to know the, the teens. And then spend 30% on the program that you are going to develop and then spend the rest of the time in prayer, like creating mm-hmm. your prayer community. Mm. why because if you have those foundations you will thrive you are gonna be okay but sometimes uh, people put all the emphasis on I want all the teens to love me and then they forget the other two and then that's when they collapse or they put all the emphasis in I'm just gonna pray until I don't have any more needs and then they forgot that the community never saw them so they they didn't see the effects of their work or they miss the point because they are trying to copycat something that they experienced in another parish that was different and they didn't realize that the environment that they were in is different. I will say something, in the last 22 years I have done ministry, usually in the first years of my profession, every six years you could see the change of the youth in attitudes, in behaviors, in ways of thinking. Now I'm seeing it every like two years, like juniors and seniors are one thing and freshmen and sophomores are a completely different thing. Um, And even now it's becoming almost like every grade is a different reality. So keeping up with that reality to be able for you to adapt the program so you can reach out to them, uh, that's, that's very significant. And to clarify, adapting doesn't mean that you change the message. The message is the same. It's how you present it that is different. So true, so true, definitely. Well, Catherine, this was uh, a huge pleasure and a huge gift uh, just to sit down. And I've, I've taken copious notes um, right here. And uh, just I always learn from you. And, 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 um, and so I appreciate that. Um, if people want to learn more, connect with you, uh, well, what's the best way that they can do that? Via email, they can go to the McGrath Institute and they have my phone number and my email. I will say email just because I'm not working from the office. As you can tell, this is my right. home. So welcome to my home. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, via email, yes, I'm, I'm definitely uh, available. That's definitely been one of the gifts of uh, the Zoom realities. We get to actually see into people's homes. Yeah. Um, and there's a little bit of vulnerability that goes into that. Um, yeah. But uh, even if it's the tidiest room in your house, like mine right now, like it's still kind of like 
there, there's, there's good talking points and things to put up there, but, uh, Kevin, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, and, uh, again, if, uh, you want to, uh, get in touch with her, reach out to her, go to the McGrath Institute. We'll have, uh, links, uh, in the show notes. Um, but Catherine, thank you again. Uh, and thank you for the, the work that you do for the ministry that you do and for the connection that you keep building among uh, all the people that attend to your podcast, because I do know they do continue talking to each other. I have heard the other side too. So thank you for that. It takes time and I appreciate that you're doing it. I appreciate that. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs>